On Wednesday nights, we've been looking at the minor prophets. And when I started the minor prophet with major message series, I must admit and confess that I was looking forward to getting to this one, Amos. Uh, I don't know if because Amos was a country man that I have more of an identification with Amos, but I've just always enjoyed the prophecy of Amos. He was a very interesting character. And there's absolutely no way that in one or even two messages that we could just dissect the entire book of Amos because there are nine chapters. They're not very long, but I hope by what we're doing that it will pique your interest enough to go as we hit the highlights. Maybe you'll go and take a look at it when you need something to study because these minor prophets are very interesting characters. And I think if you have heard what we've already presented on the other two, Hosea and Joel, you will find the recurring theme of the Lord sending the message to the people of Israel, repent, repent, turn from your idols. It's just an ongoing theme through all of these minor prophets. Now, interestingly, Amos, let's read the first few verses here as we delve into who Amos was. It says, the words of Amos who was among the herdmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, who was a pretty good king, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, this would be the second Jeroboam. You know, there was a, there was a Jeroboam that started out right after Solomon died, and Israel, the northern kingdom, split away. This is the second Jeroboam. And I guess the only thing you could say about this Jeroboam is uh, he's... He probably maybe wasn't as bad as the first one, but he's bad. So this is Jeroboam, the second one, several hundred years down the road from the first one. The son of Joash, two years before the earthquake. Now this earthquake is referenced here, and obviously there's no geological records or anything like that, but it is interesting to point out that the book of Zechariah refers to an earthquake in the days of Uzziah. So it's probably the same thing. And it's interesting that he noted that because obviously a natural disaster or catastrophe like that was something that uh, impacted them just like it would us today. And look at what it says, verse 2. And he said, the Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem and the habitations of the shepherds shall mourn and the top of Carmel shall wither. Now let's learn a little bit about Amos. And here is the title of the message that relates to this minor prophet. The title of this message is The Sheep Herding Fig Picker. That's kind of catchy, isn't it? (laughs) Or you could say The Fig Picking Sheep Herder. Or if you want to be politically correct, you'd have to say The Harvest Engineer Sheep Master. (laughs) You're going to see some interesting things about Amos. He was a country boy. Just so my wife can be very clear on this issue, Amos was not a redneck. He was a country boy. There's a big difference between a redneck and a country boy. I am a country boy, okay? Grew up on a farm, so forth and so on. We've had that discussion and debate for a number of years. What is a redneck? What is a country boy? She only need look at me to see a country boy. (laughs) So this is what Amos was. He was a country boy, a country man. He was a guy that lived a lot of his time and spent a lot of his time outdoors because he was a sheep herder. Now, The time frame in which he wrote, as I said, was in the days of the second Jeroboam and in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah, who was a decent king. 
about 780 years before Christ. And he, like some of the others that we've looked at, was a contemporary, most likely, with Isaiah and Hosea. He even maybe was a contemporary with Jonah, who's very familiar to us as a minor prophet. And he had a short ministry. His ministry was not very long. Nobody knows ultimately what happened to him, you know, what, what his outcome was, how his life ended. But there are some things that we can glean from the writing here tonight that maybe we can conclude that his, his life may not have ended in a very pleasant way because of the message that he had. Now, this is important. Amos, in his short ministry, as compared to Hosea, who we think maybe could have had a 90 or 100 year ministry, okay? Amos's message, just as important as a guy like Hosea or Isaiah or some of the others. But it's interesting where he comes from. He comes from the country. And also the place that he hails from was a place called Tekoa, which that would be like saying, where are you from? Well, I'm from Gordo. Okay, but I'm from Zion, you know, which is north of Gordo, which is lesser known than Gordo. Now, you are all very familiar with it, I know. But it would be like saying, well, where are you from? I'm from Reform, and I live in Palmetto, you know, or Coal Fire, or some of the other outlying places. I mean, Tekoa was nowhere. I mean, it was just like a little spot, not even a spot on a map, okay? It was not far from Jerusalem, not far from Bethlehem, but it was not on the beaten track. It was, a, it was a place where the trade routes did not go. So you talk about the back 40. This is Tekoa, a nowhere place, which the reason I emphasize that is that to me it's encouraging to see how God would use a man from nowhere like that. The name Amos, it means burden bearer. Okay, it can be referencing his occupation. It can, but it can also mean that he was bearing this burden that the Lord had put upon him. And as I said, he was among the herdmen in some places. I wish Brother Luke was here to hear this, but in some places it sounds like the horse masters of Rohan from the Lord of the Rings. By the way, a little side note the other day, Brother Furman came up to me and he looked at me real, real seriously. and He said, just tell me what this Lord of the Rings is. <laughs> I said, I'm so glad you don't know, brother. It means you don't watch any TV. Praise God. <laughs> but I told him what it was. So they were known as sheep masters. Like the men of Rohan were known as horse masters. These people were sheep masters. They knew everything about sheep because that's all they did. They spent time with sheep, herding them. Okay, so as I said, Amos, not a redneck. He's a country boy. Now, why in the world, if you've got a guy, if Jonah was alive during the time in which Amos was alive, why would God call this fig-picking sheep herder to go and preach this message, which you're going to be stunned at where he goes, unless you've read it already. Okay, why would he pick somebody like, when you've got a guy like Jonah around, a full-fledged, you might say, prophet? <laughs> Well, you just have to ask God that when you get to heaven. But 1 Corinthians 1 and 27 says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. It pleased God to do this. And that's how God works. How, who in the world could, would have said a little band of believers through 2,000 years from the time of Christ all the way down to this very day, as you sit here this day, who would have said that this would have lasted for 2,000 years? Doing what you do, 
living the way that you live, serving the Lord, trying to be a disciple, how in the world could something like that last for 2,000 years? That's one of the foolish things of the world that the Lord uses to confound the wise. The church of God is a mystery that it's even still here. The reason it's still here is because the Lord said it would be here. And He has moved it down through time, through the years. And people like you who believe the truth, embrace the truth, pass it on to your children, teach it to your children. That's how it happens. Okay? So here is Amos, and he is it's just con- it's confounding to think about the Lord calling this guy to go and do what he does. Now, the authenticity of the book of Amos, it just cannot be questioned. Okay? And here's why. And this is within itself. Now, I don't mean, I'm not talking about from historical records, although the Bible is a historical record. But within itself, Amos is quoted by Joel two times. I'll be happy to share those quotes with you if you don't know where they are. Amos is quoted by Joel two times. Amos is quoted by Jeremiah one time. Amos is quoted by Haggai, another of the minor prophets, one time. And most importantly, the deacon Stephen quotes from Amos in Acts the seventh chapter just a little while before he is stoned to death. So Amos is authentic, let me tell you. Even though he is this little sheep herder, (laughs) he is authentic. Now let me just give you a very quick breakdown of an overview of the book of Amos, and then we're going to hit a few spots that I want to emphasize. And please go and read it. Go and enjoy it yourself after you've been introduced to Amos. Okay, an overview of Amos basically is in four categories. He has oracles, like visions you might say, oracles, sermons, visions, and promises. The book of Amos winds up with a very significant promise that affects you today. Okay, so there's no yawning in the book of Amos. He comes out, you might say, guns blazing. (laughs) In chapters 1 and 2, he pronounces God's judgment on Syria, the Philistines, Tyre, Edom, Ammon, Moab, Judah, and lastly Israel, which is the chief subject of Amos's message, is Israel. And I guess you would notice that Israel is still in existence at this time. You know, I think it was Joel that we looked at, you know, that doesn't mention Israel because Israel's gone in Joel's time. So this is a little bit before Joel. This is a little bit before Israel is gone. He's pronouncing the judgment upon Israel. And that's the northern kingdom. Very significant. Amos lives... In Tekoa, in the southern kingdom, south of Jerusalem, south near Bethlehem. And the northern kingdom is Israel. And Amos is called by God from Tekoa, from the herd, to go into Israel. <laughs> you know, you think about it like this. How would you like some northern Yankee talking preacher to come down here and start telling y'all what to do on Sunday mornings? You know, I can, I can imitate the accent from Boston, and you wouldn't even like me imitating it. Now, I know some of you have a more northern dialect. That's fine. I'm not knocking on you. I'm just trying to get this across to you. How would you like somebody that's not from around here that you don't even really know to just come in here and start telling you what's what? And not only that, he's got a Boston accent. You know, I'm just kidding. So listen, this guy is not from Israel. He's from Judah. Now, can you imagine what was going through Amos's mind when God said, okay, I want you to go up to Israel? Up into Israel, up into Samaria. You remember the Samaritans in the days of Jesus? Nobody would have anything to do with them. And Amos says, where do you want me to go? I'm not qualified. I'm just a sheep herder. But where do you want me to go? I want you to go to Israel. And I'm sure Amos was like, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding. Kind of like Jonah's reaction to go to Nineveh, right? But thank goodness we don't see where 
Amos reacted the way that Jonah did and went the other way, that stubborn prophet Jonah. So I want you to think about the emotional aspect of what's going on in the life of Amos. You know, he's out there in the middle of nowhere, living on the back 40 of, of the back 40, just tending to sheep every day, making sure the lions stay away, making sure the leopards, the bobcats, all these different things stay away, the wolves. And the Lord says, hey, <laughs> he's like, what? I'm calling you as my prophet. There's Amos. He's just out there in the middle of nowhere. And God says, I want you to go. Where do you want me to go? I want you to go to Israel. He's like, I've never been to Israel. I don't even know the way. <laughs> but he goes. Okay. Now in chapter three of Amos, there's a little bit of a change of tone. Those first two chapters are pronouncing judgment after judgment after judgment. But in chapter three, he begins to focus his attention on Israel. Now, y'all remember I told you, I think it was when we looked at Hosea, that Hosea, it is believed he originated in Israel. You remember that? Okay, here is a guy that originates outside of Israel in Judah. And the Lord sends this guy who's a foreigner in terms of you know, being a part of that nation of Israel. He's a Jew from Judah. And God sends this man to prophesy and preach to the Israelites. It's a little bit of a different take on it. And in the chapter 3, he begins to change his tone. Look at what he says. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Can two walk together except they be agreed? That's a very relatively well-known verse right there. Uh, I've used that verse many times when it came to counseling couples that were thinking about getting married. Do you agree on these things? Do you agree on what you believe? Do you agree on how to conduct a household and so forth? Can two walk together except they be agreed? The Lord is saying, I can't walk with you unless you agree with me. You see, two cannot walk together except they be agreed. Now you jump on into chapter four and we're starting to look at some of these verses uh, that I want to highlight for you. He ramps it up in chapter 4 where he says, Hear this word, ye kind of Bashan. Now, this is kind of funny, but kind, the, the basic word is heifer. So he's, if you read, if we read on here, he's literally talking to the women of Israel. And he says, Listen up, you heifers. <laughs> now, if I wasn't repeating this from what this says right here, I get in a lot of trouble saying that somewhere. I'm repeating basically the definition of what he says. Listen up, you heifers. <laughs> which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, which say to their masters, bring and let us drink. The Lord God has sworn by His holiness that lo, the days shall come upon you that He will take you away with hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. And ye shall go out at the breaches every cow at that which is before her. See, I'm not far off, am I? <laughs> there He says the word cow. And ye shall cast them into the palace, saith the Lord. What in the world is He talking about? He is condemning their luxurious, excessive, even effeminate lifestyle. Now look, there's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing in and of itself or sinful in having an abundance of things or money or properties. But when that becomes the focus of a person's life, that's when it becomes an idol. That's what the rich young ruler could not do. You remember? He could not lay down that which prevented him from discipling himself with the Lord. Now, if that's not relevant to today, 
I don't know that there's a verse in the Bible that's relevant. (laughs) We have so many things in our way that we refuse to lay down to serve the Lord. It can be primarily, as I've said many times, it can be an iPhone. It can be an iPad. It can be entertainment. It can be so many. It can be sports. It can be so many work. Things that we will not lay down that hinder us from serving the Lord. That is what he is getting at. And he's not being very nice with his words. This old country farmer who's been around a lot of cattle comes in there and the Lord says, tell them, tell those heifers that they better quit focusing so much on their wealth and their prosperity. And this is primarily, by the way, to the rulers and to the nobles of Israel, of Samaria. Look at verse 11. He says, I have overthrown some of you. Now, this is insulting to the Israelite right here. I have overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And you were as a firebrand plucked out of the burning. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Does that not hearken to the example of Lot, who is living an incredibly excessive lifestyle down in Sodom? And the Lord plucked Lot like a firebrand out of Sodom. You remember? I mean, literally took him by the nape of the neck and carried him out of the city so he would not perish in the fire and brimstone that came upon Sodom. Now, I don't know exactly how that plays out right there, but it could very well be that the Lord, it sounds like maybe he treated a few houses like Sodom and Gomorrah. He's, I'm fixing, your house is so filled with excess and it is so idolatrous in your house that I'm just going to rain fire and brimstone on your house. How many of our houses today would stand if the Lord took that position towards us? Your house is so full of excess and that's all you... Nothing wrong with excess now if you handle it appropriately. But your house is so filled with excess that I'm going to do you a favor by wiping it out. Wiping it out. Now, nothing would disturb me more and I could have just pronounced a judgment on myself. Nothing would disturb me more if Brother Glendon Junkin from the Zion Fire Department called and said, Brother Tim, your house on fire, burn to the ground. <laughs> we could all just say, well, maybe that's a judgment from God or maybe one of the kids left the iron on. I don't know. But I would hate to see those guitars burn up. I would hate to see a thousand other things burn up. <laughs> but if that's what was good for me, that would make me see a little clearer my relationship with the Lord, maybe that's what I need. Is that a little too over the top? Sometimes the Lord has ways of wrenching things from us when we have idolized them. And that's a mercy. You see, that's a mercy of God. It was a, can we agree? It was a mercy of God to pick Lot up by the nape of the neck and take him out of Sodom. And yet it's just like Lot. Look what it says. You still didn't return to me. What does that mean? The angel said to Lot, go up into the mountains. Get out of here. Lot's so cauterized with his sin that he says, oh, if I go up into the mountains, you know, a bear's going to get me. Something's going to get me. And you know, the angels are probably thinking, man, we're fixing to rain fire and brimstone here. Don't worry about a bear or a wild animal. So they say, okay, all right, go to the city over here. We'll We'll spare the city because Lot was scared to go into the mountains. They spared a city that was supposed to burn. (laughs) A city spared for one man. Can you imagine that? So then we find Lot gets over to that city and it's spared and it doesn't burn, but he goes up into the mountains anyway. Why didn't he go back to Abraham? You hear me? Why didn't he return to the friend of God? How many times y'all heard me say that? He had chance after chance after chance to come back to the friend of God down on hands and knees begging, forgive me 
Forgive me for ever leaving. Forgive me for the mess that I brought upon myself. The Lord says, I've treated some of you just like Sodom and Gomorrah. I have ripped things away from you providentially as a mercy and plucked you as a firebrand out of that burning house and you have not returned to me. Just like Lot. How sad is that? Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel. And because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. That sounds foreboding, doesn't it? Now, as we're continuing on towards chapter 7, which we'll spend a little bit of time in chapter 7, I want you to get this in mind from a location and a physical standpoint. God has called Amos to leave Tekoa, little nowhere town Tekoa. And Amos has traveled and he's in Samaria now. And he is outside the temple or the tabernacle or whatever the false god worship place that they constructed in Samaria that competed with Jerusalem. See, this is all about jealousy and competition, which will destroy everything. So in Samaria, they had set up a place and said, this is where you ought to worship God. That's what the first Jeroboam did. They're still doing it hundreds of years later. And it's in competition with what's set up at Jerusalem, which is where God said, that's where I want you to come and worship. Okay? Now, the fast forwards. 800 years, and you have Jesus talking with the woman at the well. We spoke about her a few weeks ago, and what was the question on her mind? Our father said, go up into this place in Samaria to worship. Your Jewish father said, go down here to Jerusalem. You remember that? <laughs> that's, what the, that's what's going on here. So here is Amos, little old sheep herder Amos, standing outside the temple at downtown Israel, and he's preaching this up a storm. Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Your sacrifices are nothing before the Lord. And they're all thinking, where's this guy from? He looks Jewish. Who told him to come up here? And he's just laying it on, laying it on. Don't you know he was a little scared? <laughs> I know he felt, I'm sure he felt the boldness of the Lord, but at the same time, he's thinking, I'm a, I'm a stranger in a strange land. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Uh, Brother Asher and Brother McNeil and Brother Neil and myself and a couple others went to, you know, to Zambia. I'm sure they would have been a little nervous if I'd have gone to the Capitol and just walked up in there and started saying, prepare to meet thy God, O Zambia. You know, that's a Christian nation. They might have actually repented. <laughs> but could you imagine little old Poe Dunk, Brother Tim, traveling up to Washington, D.C. and walking up in front of the Capitol or walking up in front of the White House, prepare to meet thy God, O Washington. <laughs> that would be nerve-wracking, would it not? Now look, we talked last Sunday and we're still in the process, hopefully, of talking about suffering for serving the Lord. God called Amos to do this. You see? So he's outside the temple and he's preaching up a storm and the people are just getting more and more worked up. How do we know? You'll see in just a minute. Look at verse 13. For lo, he that formeth the mountains and createth the wind and declareth unto man what is his thought that maketh the morning darkness and treadeth upon the high places of the earth. The Lord, the Lord of hosts, that's Jehovah, is His name. The Lord says, prepare to meet your God. Well, here I am. My name is Jehovah, the Lord of hosts. Now, chapter 5, look at verse 4. For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. But seek not Bethel, nor enter Gilgal, and pass not to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. Seek the Lord, and you shall live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and devour it, and there be none to quench it in Bethel. 
Ye who turn judgment to wormwood and leave off righteousness in the earth, seek him that maketh the seven stars of an Orion and turneth the shadow of death into the morning and maketh the day dark with night. I'll tell you one thing. The words that the Lord burdened this little farmer to preach sounded pretty good, didn't they? It sounds like poetry coming off the tongue. He says, That calleth for the waters of the sea and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name that strengtheneth the spoiled against the strong, so that the spoiled shall come against the fortress. Now watch this. He starts getting into what they're doing and what they're not doing. They hate him that rebuketh in the gate. Somebody who's the gate was the court, by the way. Somebody that stood in the gate and rebuked was a, an official of the court. And he, it says that these people hate the people that stand in the, in the gate and tell the truth about what they should be doing. They abhor him that speaketh righteously. For as much therefore as your treading is upon the poor, and ye take from him burdens of wheat. You see what they're doing? They're, they're getting prosperous by taking advantage of other people. Ye have built houses of hewn stone, but ye shall not dwell in them. Ye have planted pleasant vineyards, but ye shall not drink wine of them. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins. They afflict the just. They take a bribe and they turn aside the poor in the gate from their right. Therefore, the prudent shall keep silence in that time. If you know what's good for you in the time that he was living in Israel, it was like this. You better keep your mouth shut or you're going to have some trouble coming after you. And here shows this preacher, this herdsman, he won't keep his mouth shut. <laughs> For it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you as you have spoken. Hate the evil and love the good and establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. Chapter 6, he pronounces woes. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Now watch, so this is some of that getting after those, not just the women, but also the men. Look at what they were doing. He says, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations to whom the house of Israel came. Pass ye unto Calne and see. From thence go to Hamath the great and go down to Gath. Are these kingdoms better than the one you live in? Verse 3, Ye that put far away the evil day and cause the seed of violence to come near. See, it was a violent culture. Now watch this. That lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches and eat the lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the stall that chant to the sound of the viol, violin and invent to themselves instruments of music like David that drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. <laughs> you see how he is attacking this little herdsman that lived out in the rough country is attacking their excessive lifestyle. Look at how they're living. Kind of reminds me of the church of Laodicea over in the book of Revelation too. So he pronounces woe upon them. Chapter 7, 8, and 9 are visions that he has. And I want to break out on chapter 7 for the remaining time basically to talk about what happens as a result of Amos going and doing this, doing God's bidding. Chapter 7. Let's begin reading. Well, I want to just summarize a few verses there so we won't take so much time. In the first few verses of chapter 7, Amos has a vision of a ju judgments coming to this nation. One is grasshoppers. I remember one of the other prophets we talked about, <laughs> a plague of locusts, you know. So here he talks about grasshoppers coming to just devour all of the vegetation in the land. And it says that Amos would pray and the grasshoppers would go away. He would intercede for the people and the grasshoppers would go away. And then it says that there would be fire that would come. Some kind of plague of fire where fires would just start all over the place. And it says that if Amos prayed to the Lord, 
which he did, the fire plague would pull back. Are you getting the drift there? You know, Amos was very important in the eyes of God. And what Amos did and what Amos said was very significant to what God did. People say, well, you know, prayer can't really change things. I beg to differ. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It can change things. So pray. <laughs> it says, verse 7, Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall. This is the third vision that he has right here in chapter 7. And the, there was a plumb line there, and a plumb line in his hand. It shows the Lord standing there with a plumb line. And a plumb line, as carpenters would know, is something that you would get a measurement from. And what this is signifying is the Lord is telling Amos which of these buildings are going to be demolished by fire or by attack of an enemy nation. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line, Lord. Then said the Lord, behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. Now watch this. And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. Wait a minute now. He's getting a little too political, isn't he? Jeroboam was the king at the time. Better not go, better not go this far, Amos. These are the Lord's words. I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, that's where Amos is prophesying, sent to Jeroboam the king. Here's Mr. Tattletale. <laughs> he sent to Jeroboam the king and he said, Hey, king, this, this fig-picking shepherd is down here saying that the Lord is against you and you're going to be dethroned. Now, how nervous do you think Amos is getting at this point? I'm telling you, he's getting nervous. So they go and Amaziah goes and tattletales on him to the king. Then answered Amos. Now look at verse 13. Then Amaziah the priest says to Amos, prophesy not again anymore at Bethel. He goes and he has a one-on-one -on -one with him, or maybe it was in public. He said, don't prophesy anymore in Bethel, for it is the king's chapel and it is the king's court. Keep your mouth shut. Does this not go right along with what we talked about on Sunday about how we have retreated into this misunderstanding of, well, you know, spirituality or religion doesn't have anything to do with politics. And I'm afraid to say anything because it might offend someone. The reason things are like they are is because we think that way. You say, well, Brother Tim, if we start talking about things you know, in a kind and loving way, it's probably going to bring trouble. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Suffering for serving our Lord is nothing new to the church of God. He says, prophesy not again anymore at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel and it is the king's court. Then answered Amos, this old fig picker. You say, yeah, I know y'all are saying, why do you keep calling him that? I'm fixing to show you. Amos said, I was no prophet. <laughs> I didn't go out looking for this. And any man that's called to preach will have that kind of mentality. I didn't go looking for preaching as a job. It's a calling, you see, to think, well, I'm just going to go in, in preaching as a career. That is not scriptural. That's not a biblical mentality, you see. Amos said, I was no prophet. Neither was I a prophet's son. But I was a herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And there's where the fig picker comes in. If you look at the definition of gatherer right there, it means to pinch 
fruit. Now, this is interesting. I, I get sidetracked so easy on stuff like this. I'm going to try not to get sidetracked. Just give you the highlights. But the word gather only occurs one time, and it's right here. And it means to pinch a fruit. Okay, and the idea about this sycamore fruit, there is a sycamore fig. And the more I've studied this, the more I've thought, maybe those fig trees behind our house there at the farm are possibly sycamore fruit because they take so long to finally ripen. Okay, so what they would do is they would make an indention or a cut on the sycamore fig fruit. And it, for whatever reason, the air being exposed to it or whatever, it would ripen the fruit quicker. So the sycamore fruit was, was what the poorest people of the land would eat. You had these nice, beautiful, ripe figs and whatever else they ate over there of a different type of tree. But the sycamore fig was the last one left and the last one to ripen. And they would, even would have a, like a knife. And men would climb up, or boys would climb up in the tree and they'd slash them. They'd slash those figs, just make a little cut on them. And the next day or two, it, it, they would go from green to ripe and ready to eat. So the reason I share that with you is because Amos felt like it was significant enough to point out he was such a humble, low-level type of person. He said, man, my primary job was a sheep herder and I moonlighted as a fig picker. <laughs> I just think that's funny. And he probably held up his fingers and said, see, his fingers would have been stained from pressing those figs and poking holes in them and making little gashes on them. I'm just a fig picker. I'm nobody. In response to the priest saying, get out of here. We don't want to hear you anymore. He says, and the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, go, prophesy unto my people Israel. Now therefore hear thou the word of the Lord. Thou sayest, prophesy not against Israel and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore thus saith the Lord. Oh, this is tough stuff right here. Thy wife shall be a harlot in the city. And thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword. And thy land shall be divided by line. The plumb line, you remember? And Israel shall surely go into captivity forth of this land. <laughs> what a response, huh? Let me just say this to each of you here in case some of you is rising up within you and thinking, that's what I want to do. I want to go to Washington and I want to tell those people, I'm just a fig picker, but God's called me. The Lord's not raising up prophets like this anymore, <laughs> okay? What he has in the New Testament is the preaching of the Word of God to the people of God. And if the Lord burdens a man of God to go here, to go there, and preach the Word of God, you know, this man is being filled directly with the Holy Spirit, and God is giving him the words that he's saying, These are the words of God through the mouth of this prophet, you see? <laughs> so I don't want anybody to think, Well, we got to be mean spirited. That's pretty mean spirited right there, telling Amaziah that his wife was going to be a harlot. <laughs> That's pretty mean-spirited. These were the words of God through the mouth of the prophet. It's like God's got a hold of him and squeezing him out like a fig and bringing those words out of him. They're the words of God. So the fig picker got picked by God to go and preach this message. Chapter 8 speaks of the Lord sending a famine in the land. That's probably a very well-known portion of Scripture in verse 11 where it says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. 
Brothers and sisters, we are living in that time of the famine of the word of the Lord in the land. Somebody says, yeah, but so many people go to church every Sunday. You know, so many thousands of people. But are they hearing the word of the Lord? Are they hearing the truth? Are they hearing some some dressed down Jesus that can't get anything done without your permission? Are they hearing some feel good message where it's all about you and how you feel? Are they hearing the word of God? I'm telling you, there is a famine in the land. When three out of four churches, I had to correct myself on this a little bit. I went back and did a little further research. When three out of four churches in the days of the founding of this country were predestinarian, three out of four. Can you find one out of a hundred that's predestinarian? Sovereignty of God based? You see, there is a famine in the land for the word of God today. Those of you sitting here that have come to see the truth, whenever it was, whatever situation where you were in, you realized how thirsty you were when you finally found out what the Lord had done for you. <laughs> you had a thirst that was there. Some of you may have not even have realized it. And then some of you realized you had a thirst. And that right there, that truth, that slaked your thirst for your entire life. You'll never have to thirst again for the waters of truth because the Lord has told you that He has saved you. He is sovereign. You see? I'm going to tell you, that's just not heard. It's just not heard. Don't make me go into all the reasons why it's drifted away. There's a lot of reasons for that. But there's a famine in the land today for the Word of God. Go back up in chapter 9, verse 11. And this is the last part of the book, and it's the promise. And we're going to close out by reading this. In that day, Amos says... Will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof and I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as in the, old, in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord that doeth this. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him that soweth seed and the mountains shall drop sweet wine and all the hills shall melt. There'll be so much prosperity. And I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens, eat the fruit of them, and I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land which I have given them, saith the Lord God. Let me tell you something. That last little segment of verses, it is you. It is you today, here and now, in this building, worshiping the Lord. That is a reference to the coming kingdom of God, the church of God, that Jesus would establish and solidify through His resurrection. It is a reference to you. If they build back a temple over there in Jerusalem and begin to sacrifice lambs and sheep and goats over there, you put no stock in that because that's an abomination to God. The temple service is gone. Now you are the temple of the Lord. You see? The Lord has put all of that away through the blood of Christ. We're not looking for Israel to be reestablished. We're not looking for Jerusalem to be the epicenter of religion in the world. It will never be again. There may be some of God's people over there and there may be good, some good things going on over there, but it will never be the focus of God's attention on this earth again. But you are. <laughs> Makes you feel kind of good, doesn't it? You are. You are the temple of God. You are the ones to bring living sacrifices to serve the Lord. You are the focus of God's attention as the church of God. So come on and join it if you haven't. We'll give you that opportunity as we stand and sing.